If you have your Bible, turn quickly to the book of Genesis chapter 14. I'm concluding this week this brief series that we've entitled Paying the Price. The first week we talked about paying the price of preparation and then last week we talked about paying the price of eternity and the good news of that was that we don't have to pay the price of eternity that Jesus paid it for us. But this, this morning, this is the third and final installment of this series and today we're going to be talking about paying the price of evangelism. Because I see those stories. And it reminds me that this is about people whom Jesus loves. More than we can imagine. In Genesis chapter 14. Now let me just set the stage for you a little bit so you know what the scripture is about. Abraham and his nephew Lot have separated uh, company. Abraham, as you know, has gone away from the well-watered plain of Sodom and Gomorrah and uh, Lot has headed toward those cities and, and there having pitched his tent toward Sodom, he becomes quite a prominent figure in the community of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now we often, when we hear of Sodom and Gomorrah, we, we think of the story of their destruction, but this is before that ever happens. So, and before that happens, there's a war that breaks out between the kings of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboim, and Zoar, and and the kings of Elam, Goim, Babylonia, and Elisar. So it was four kings against five. And the battle started turning against the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. And they began to retreat from the battle. And the, uh, the, the valley of the Dead Sea at the time was filled with tar pits. And we're told that the army of the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. Some of them fell into the tar pits. And some of the others escaped into the mountains. Then the invading kings uh, sacked the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. They plundered the treasures and, and carried many of the inha- uh, inhabitants away of slaves as slaves. And among those taken as slaves were Lot, his wife, his daughters, and his sons-in-law. Now, word of these events reaches Abraham, and, uh, and we see his response. Although at, at this time he was known as Abram, he later became known as Abraham. But let's begin reading in verse 11. The victorious invaders then plundered Sodom and Gomorrah and headed for home, taking with them all the spoils of war and the food supplies. They also captured Lot, Abram's nephew who lived in Sodom and carried off everything he owned. But one of Lot's men escaped and reported everything to Abram, the Hebrew, who was living near the oak grove belonging to Mamre, the Amorite. Mamre and his relatives Eskel and Aner were, uh, were Abraham, excuse me, Abram's allies. When Abram heard that his nephew Lot had been captured, he mobilized the 318 trained men who had been born into his household. Then he pursued Keterleomar's army until he caught up with them at Dan. There he divided his men and attacked during the night. Keterleomar's army fled, but Abram chased them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. Abram recovered all the goods that had been taken, and he brought back his nephew Lot with his possessions and all the women and other captives. After Abram returned from his victory over Keterleomar and all his allies, the king of Sodom Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of of Sheva, which is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem and the priest of God most high, brought Abram some bread and wine. That's a whole different message right there, uh, foreshadowing communion that that Melchizedek brought uh, bread and wine. Verse 19, Melchizedek blessed Abram, Abram with this blessing, 
Blessed be Abram, the God by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give back my people who were captured, but you may keep for yourself all the goods you have recovered. Abram replied to the king of Sodom, I solemnly swear to the Lord God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will not take so much as a single thread or a sandal thong from what belongs to you. Otherwise, you might say, I am the one who made Abram rich. Let's pray together and ask the Lord's blessing on his word. Father, we, we thank you and praise you for your goodness and your mercy toward us. And God, we're believing you today that you have a word for us. And Lord, we're open before you. It may not be the word that we want to hear, but we believe, believe that it's a word that you want us to hear. And, and, and so God, I just pray we just, that you would help us to be ready to receive whatever you want to say to us. Come Holy Spirit. Lord, I, I thank you that, that when we come to the end of our, our resources that, that we, we begin to realize that, that uh, you're our only hope. And so God, when we are at the end physically, uh, then you have only begun spiritually. And so Lord, I just pray that that uh, when we are depleted and empty and weak in our flesh, that you are, we would realize that you are strong and mighty in our spirit. We believe you, God, that you're going to speak to us. We, I just give this poor stammering tongue over to you, the weakness of my own flesh today. I'm not asking, God, that any listener, listener here would give glory to me as a preacher, but that when we leave here today, everyone would say, surely this day we have heard from God. And I'm believing you for that, God. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I wonder if you have heard of Alimjan. Alimjan had just begun planting fruit trees on his land when he met and married his wife, Goldner. They both were active in their church and were soon blessed by, with two children. Life was good for this young family. Several years later, as the first fruit of the harvest grew near, the government arrested Alimjan and confiscated everything he owned, accused him of of harming national security and using his business as a cover for preaching Christianity among the, the Uyghur, uh, people of Uyghur ethnicity. And in January of 2008, Alimjian was sentenced to 15 years in prison, the maximum penalty in China for the charge of divulging state secrets. I, I wonder if you've ever heard of a man named Romulo Saone. Romulo was a popular 39-year-old preacher in Peru. He translated the Bible into the Quechua language for the Peruvian, Peru, Peruvian excuse me, aborigines. Before his martyrdom, he, he visited his hometown where his, his grandfather, Pastor Just, Justiano Kikana, <laughs> these words, these names, I'm doing my best. But they, he was murdered by the Sendero Luminoso, which is translated the Shining Path. Uh, and they were an armed group of Marxist terrorists. And there they, in that city, he, they celebrated the anniversary of the church that his, his uh, father had, his grandfather had planted, and then he returned home with other members of the congregation. Well, the Sendero Luminoso rebels stopped the bus when they were on the way back, and, and, and uh, Pastor Romulo and his fellow church workers were, were, were told to get off the bus, and, and the terrorists standing there waving their guns at the church workers commanded them to get off the vehicle and 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 they stood there and pastor Romulo reacted quickly he boldly began to to speak to the rebels and he said God loves you and I love you 
He said, there is no sin that cannot be forgiven. Even now, God is willing to forgive your sins because he loves you. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ can cleanse and purify your souls. And those Marxist rebels listened to the gospel being presented by the pastor. But then suddenly he was interrupted by their leader who told the Christians, he said, you are guilty of fooling people with your religion. Today, you are being judged. And then he opened fire on them, killing four of them. And Pastor Ramulo died saying, God, I love you. Jesus, I love you. I wonder if you've ever heard of Pastor uh, Pastor Gajal Paul, beaten and left for dead. Pastor Paul, 38 years old, lay bleeding profusely from severe wounds. Earlier that day, he had been warned by a group of Hindu extremists to stop evangelizing, but unfazed by their threats, he continued to boldly distribute Bibles and share God's word. On July 1st, 2013, while driving home on a borrowed motor scooter, two men suddenly attacked him with their faces covered with handkerchiefs. And after knocking the pastor off the scooter, the men began to viciously beat him. When several Christians came to his aid, the assailants fled near death. Excuse me. Near death, he was rushed to the hospital where doctors treated him for severe head wounds and internal injuries. Since the attack, Pastor Paul has returned with his family to his hometown village. He was raised in a Hindu village, and Paul is the only follower of Christ among all of his Hindu relatives, and the potential for opposition from from them has given uh, given him deep concern for the well-being of his children, and that resulted in them being sent to live in a children's home for their safety and protection. In spite of the danger, he has never wavered from his calling. Just two days after the attack, he declared from his hospital bed, he said, even if I die, I will die for the Lord. It is my responsibility to preach the gospel and I will continue doing it. I wonder if you've heard of Shai Mushan. Shai Mushan was imprisoned in Shanghai, China from 1956 until 1980. In 1980, he was released, but just a few months after he was his release, At the age of 70, he was arrested again and was given another 10-year sentence because he simply refused to keep his mouth shut on this matter of Jesus. I wonder if you've ever heard of Bishop Hike. Bishop Hike was an Assemblies of God leader in Iran. And after Iran became an Islamic Republic in 1979, he wrote this. He said, the Islamic revolution has been a great blessing for the church. You wouldn't expect to hear that from a Christian leader in Iran. He said, because we have learned so many lessons otherwise we couldn't have learned. The persecutions helped the elect to remain in Iran and continue the work in spite of all kind of hostilities from the enemies. At the same time, it helped the church to know who are the real ministers of the gospel and who are just pay workers. Anyone coming to Christ these days, he wrote, has to pay the price with his life or at least lose many financial gains and profits. One Presbyterian pastor in the city of Tabriz was badly beaten so that, so that after one week imprisonment, he had spinal problems and also dizziness. A brother in the city of Awaz was jailed for 27 days. He was threatened and asked to cooperate with them, the police, bringing news of new converts. The enemies of the gospel miserably tried to arrest more pastors. One pastor was hanged in jail in December 1990. He, was a, he has a totally blind wife and four children. He was a Muslim convert who was ordained a 
Pentecostal pastor in the city of Mashhad. Another elder of the church is spending his eighth year of imprisonment. He is accused of changing his religion and becoming an apostate according to Islam. Many other members were also arrested. Their only accusation was proselytism. In one case, when Reverend Hussein Sudman was martyred for his faith, a Muslim convert came to me. This is Bishop Hike speaking again, writing. He says, he came to me with tears in his eyes and said, I am worried why I was not martyred like that pastor. Soon his brother, this brother was arrested. He was accused of selling New Testaments out in the street. He was jailed for 45 days. He was told that he was going to be killed for his death. He had said goodbye to his wife and children, but was released after a few days. This is a very common thing in Iran for Christians to go to jail or expect martyrdom. One thing I should like to emphasize here is that nominal Christians, ethnic Armenians, have no special problems. The government of, of Iran has tried its best to solve their problems, and they have never been persecuted just for being a Christian. And this is what he ends his letter with. He says, the persecution starts when we evangelize. Bishop Hike. Shai Mushan, Gajal Paul, Ramulo Sauner, Alimjan, and countless others. These are they who have paid tremendously, tremendously the, for the price of evangelism. You know, in the United States of America, we, we simply have not taken seriously what it means to be an ambassador for Jesus and to do his work here on, on earth. The, the story that we read from the book of Genesis is, is the story of Abram, later to be called Abraham, uh, uh, rescuing Lot from King Keterileomar with the, and, the, and the other three kings. This story is just absolutely pregnant with implications about us, for, for the, about the work of evangelism and that we're able to do on a day-to-day basis. And the first thing that I want you to see and that we need to understand about this is that the, the work of rescuing our brethren is inconvenient. It is inconvenient. Rescuing people from the captivity of sin will cost us. It will cost us evenings. It will cost us times of preparation. It will cost us classes to attend. It will cost us phone calls at some odd hours of the night. It will cost us worship services that wax long. It will cost us prayer meetings that tax our strength physically, spiritually, and emotionally. But when someone whom we love and someone whom we care about is in captivity to an enemy who owns him and desires evil for him, what sacrifice could be too great? You know, Abram didn't say, you know, this, this whole thing about Lot being taken captive, this has just come at a bad time. He just simply mounted up and rode off. He didn't say, he didn't sit down and say, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. What is this going to cost me? How much is this going to cost me? He simply knew that he had to rescue Lot. I heard the story of an elderly man from Covington, Georgia, who at the time the story was told, he had been retired for about 10 years. And at the age of 75, he still got up every morning. He got dressed and he, and he, and he went off to work. And he, would, he worked a nine-hour day every day of his retirement uh, and, the, and the work that he did was something for which he got paid absolutely nothing monetarily. What he does 
is that he takes a bag full of gospel tracks and he goes and he stands in Wal- the Walmart parking lots and Kmart parking lots, if there are any more Kmarts anymore, I don't know if there are, you know, or shopping center parking lots. And, and he walks up and down all day, nine hours a day, uh, stopping only for lunch during the day. And, and you know what? That man, one year, in one year, he, he won over, he won 400 people to Christ, 400 souls saved by that old man in one year. Now, now, the preacher that I heard telling the story of the, about this man, he told, us, he told that same story in a message he was preaching in, in, a, in Douglasville, Georgia. And as he told about this man, he, he, he said, he, he, you know, he just was honest. He said, listen, this, this old man, that old man, he's a little goofy. He's just a little bit odd. You know, we might laugh at him, but he just, as he stands around in the parking lots around Covington, Georgia, handing out his gospel tracts day after day after day. But then he went on, he said, the only thing is that there are a whole lot of people that would laugh at him who have never won anyone to Jesus. He said, there are a whole lot of people who are respectable and dignified and proper that haven't won anybody to Jesus. And as he said that out loud in the message, a man in the congregation, not even waiting for an invitation, a very proper and handsome man, he was well-dressed and very dignified looking. He got up right in the middle of that service and, and came forward to the altar. And as he came to the edge of the platform, he said to the preacher, he said, would you step down here for a moment? I've got to tell you, anytime that happens with your preacher, that's a little nerve wracking because you don't know what in the world this person's about ready to say or do. But anyway, the preacher set the microphone down for a moment. He went to stand beside this man and a man looked at him and he said, your sermon tonight has just killed me. He said, this has been the worst night of my life. And the preacher said, well, can you tell me why? He said, and the man said, listen, I'm a Methodist pastor in the area. And that goofy old man that hands out tracts in the Walmart parking lot and the shopping centers of West Atlanta, he said, that man is my older brother. He said, I have laughed at him for years. Then he said, tonight I suddenly realized that he, in his undignified, improper, immature, adolescent way, won more people to Jesus last year than I have won in 35 years of ordained ministry. He said, God being my helper, it'll never happen again. And that Methodist pastor put his head on the preacher's shoulder and wept and began to pray for the anointing of God for, on his life for soul winning. And the preacher turned to him and he said, Sir, I'm so touched. I'm so moved. And I thank God for your willingness to ask for an anointing for soul winning. But he said, I, I want you to make one thing perfectly clear to you. That man does not do what he does because he's anointed. Your brother does it because he's been ordered. He doesn't do it because it's fun. He does it because he's commanded. He said, I want you to understand that soul winning will be inconvenient. And he asked that Methodist pastor, he said, will you pay the price? Well, that Methodist pastor turned around to that entire congregation. He said, I'm a, vis- I'm a visitor here tonight, I'm, but I'm a Methodist pastor. And I want everybody to know that this old man, this goofy old man that stands around in the parking lots that he's talking about, that man is my older brother. He said, I've laughed at him for years, but starting tonight, you'll never find find me a day in my life when I haven't had some kind of meaningful expression of the gospel to somebody somewhere. If I have to stop waiters and hand them gospel tracts, if I have to stand in the Walmart parking lot, I'm willing to pay the price of soul winning. 
You know what? I believe that there are souls in Crittenden County that are going to die in their sins because there are Christians in Crittenden County that won't accept the inconvenience of doing the ministry of soul winning. Now, that's not intended to to hurl a guilt trip of condemnation on anybody. It's simply to state a fact. It's simply to say that I believe in my heart that there are those uh, among the kingdom of God who are slothful and uncaring, who hear about the plight of their brothers who are under the bondage of the of the invading kings of Sodom and Gomorrah and will not lift a finger, who won't bear the price of inconvenience. Every act of obedience costs something. One of the things we've said with this whole series, that everything costs something. And, and every act of obedience costs us something. Few of us, you know, listen, few of us in, in this room, if any, are ever going to be asked to pay the price that Shai Mushan paid in a Chinese prison. Few of us, if any, are going to be gunned down by the side of the road for preaching the gospel like Pastor Romolo was. I, I don't suspect that very many of us, if any, are ever going to see the inside of a prison for the sake of Jesus as Elimjian did. I, few of us, if any, will be murdered by the enemies of the gospel like Bishop Hike was. But I believe that we must bear the, the day-to-day cost of inconvenience. It's inconvenient to minister. It's inconvenient to witness. It's inconvenient to open your mouth for Jesus. The only problem is that that we have heard the report. Someone has taken Lot captive and we dare not sit in our tent and wait for somebody else to do something. There's a second implication for us about the work of evangelism. That is that rescuing our brethren will cost us financially. I, I, I know that this verse may have gone right by you, but, but look at verse 14. He said, when Abram heard that his nephew Lot had been captured, he mobilized the 318 trained men who had been born into his household. Then he pursued Keterleomar's army until he caught up with them at Dan. Now, that means that out of his own personal treasury, Abram pays the cost of raising up a trained private army of 318 semi-professional soldiers. He pays for their horses, for their armaments, their training, their leaders, their support, their food, their clothing, everything that they need. He is paying for it out of his own pocket. Everything has to be paid for and he pays for it personally out of his own treasury. And and I believe that this speaks to us uh, of the issue of tithes and offerings. Now listen, I don't preach a great deal about money in this church because I don't want anybody to get mixed and confused ideas and saying, oh, you know, he's always preaching about money. That's all he cares about is money. That's not what it is. But I also believe that there are two fundamentally important reasons why you and I need to be involved in the work of of the kingdom financially on a regular basis and tithing and, and giving offerings are the best ways to do that. The first reason is this. Tithing is a way for God to pry our fingers off of those things that want to enslave us. See, we have this tendency with materialism, we think we own things, but in the truth, in reality, they own us. If I can't give it away, it owns me. Materialism is a a powerful spiritual dynamic, and then whatever we own owns us. But the more I can offer my money and my possessions to God, the more I can surrender surrender that to the Lord in open-handed, open-hearted generosity, then the less power the, the money and the possessions have over me. That's the first reason. The second reason is this. I, I really believe this, that there is hardly anywhere that giving can be put to work for the sake of the kingdom and for the work of soul winning like the local church. 
There's no place that is more effective for the kingdom. There's no ministry that's more effective for the kingdom than the local church. And listen, we believe in those. Julie and I, we give to different ministries over and above our, our tithe. We, we give to ministries like Compassion International to help support two little girls in other parts of the world. But the, but, but the conviction of my heart is that there is no ministry that is more effective than the local church. Not just here in America, but worldwide. And you know, every dime that is given into ministry here at Restoration Life Church, it goes to support things like Sunday school. It goes to support youth ministries. It goes to support children's ministry. It goes to support preaching and teaching ministry. It goes to support missionaries all over the world. It goes to support aiding, giving aid to those in our community when they are having trouble with their electric bill or, or when they need some food to eat. It goes to help all of those things. And I believe that this is the call of God on our lives to tithe and to bring offerings in order that that the work and ministry of the local church can go forward under the anointing of God. Let me, let me put it this way. I'll tell you a story. Winston Churchill, one of my favorite historical characters, very fascinating man, but at the height of World War II, he was speaking to a group of coal miners. He, he had gone to the coal mine, and, and they were quite shocked to see this great prime minister show up there. And he, and he gathered... Uh, the hundreds and hundreds of coal miners around him in the pre-dawn hours just before they descended down into the mine. And, and, and he looked at them and he gave this speech. He, he said, when this war is over, some little boys are going to ask their daddies, what did you do during the, the Second World War? They're going to say, I flew an airplane and I bombed the enemies. He said, other little boys are going to say to their daddies, what did you do during the war? And they're going to say, I worked in a submarine that, that sank enemy ships. And the coal miners, just, they just stared at the, into the face of this great Winston Churchill, just bedazzled, bedazzled by his eloquence. And, and each one of them, as he was saying this, began to ask himself in his heart, what will I say to my son? What will I say to my son? And then as if, as if reading their minds, Winston Churchill said, and your sons will say to you, Daddy, what did you do during the war? And he said, then with tears streaming down your faces, look your sons in the eyes and say, I dug the, the coal that drove the ships that defeated the enemy. He said, as you descend into the belly of the earth today, dig out the coal that propels the engine of England's defense. I, I just want to say, not, not every one of us is going to, Stand in a Walmart parking lot with a bag full of gospel tracts and win people to Jesus. I know that. I, I understand about gifts and graces of evangelism. I have known people who are gifted with evangelism and they can, they can just, uh, and I thank God for them. They, they just have a gift for it and, 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 and not everybody's going to do it the way that they do it. But I do believe that every dime that is put into the offering here is an act of obedience to rescue people from the captivity of sin. And we do everything we know how to do to make sure that every dime that, that, that's put into the offering is stretched into the work of, of the ministry. When it, when it comes to the end of the thing, the angels say to you, on which continent did you preach? Where did you preach? Where, did you go to Africa? Were you, were you a missionary in Latin America? Did you lay your life down for Jesus? You, I want you to know you can look them in the eye and you can say, I went to a job from 9 to 5 for 50 years and tithed on the money and gave in missions offerings so that somebody else can go. You'll be able to say, I bought the shoes that a missionary wore to Guatemala. Uh, to Guatemala. I paid for the fuel that powered the vehicle that carried a missionary into service. I dug the coal. It's a powerful ministry. 
It's perfectly appropriate form of ministry. Instead of making people feel guilty about what they give, I'm trying to help you. I'm going to try to help you glory in giving. I'm trying to help you find joy in giving as, as a work in the ministry of evangelism. There's another financial sacrifice that is made, and here I speak only to a few individually, and, and I don't know which ones you are, but you know, during the time that Abram, this wealthy and prosperous businessman, uh, when, when he was in the process of pursuing and rescuing his nephew Lot, it not only cost him the money that was expended in raising that private army, but it cost Abram the money that might have been made that, that was not made during the time he was, that he was pursuing Lot's captors. You know, listen to me. God is going to call somebody in this church into ministry. God's going to call somebody in this church to, to be a missionary. God's going to call somebody to be a pastor, to be a youth pastor, to be a worship pastor, to be a children's pastor. And I want to tell you up front that unless you do it with some like a bent spirit and a warped heart for financial gain, I'm here to tell you, not just in theory, but in practical application, it will not pay out what you can make in private industry. Can I get an amen? <laughs> I was looking to Jason. All right. I want to make that clear. Anybody that goes into full-time ministry uh, uh, for the purpose of prospering financially, I have one message for you. If that's your goal, you think I'm going to go into ministry so I can get rich, my only message to you is stay home. We got enough like you already, all right? As a pastor of this great church, I want you to know I, I'm not hurting. I get paid more than a lot of people, and, and I only work an hour a week, right? So, uh, <laughs> so it's, but, uh, but, but, you know, uh, th- th- I want you to know that there, before now, there have been years and years and years of service in the local church where there was no hope of financial gain. I have had stretches in my, and I don't say this to, I say this actually, I hesitate to say this, because I don't want to pat myself on the back. That's not what I'm trying to do. But there have been times when I've gone without a paycheck for, for, for at times two months at a time because the church couldn't afford to pay me. Now, there are those that use the gospel for personal prosperity. There are those that preach the gospel and then prosper from the king of Sodom. But Abram said, I don't want a dime you've got. He said, I don't even want a shoelace. Never let it be said that the king of Sodom has prospered Abram. He said, the only thing I came out here for was people. He said, I came to rescue Lot, and he's free, so you keep your money. You know, you know I'm sorry. Now, listen, I'm not saying that pastors shouldn't be, you know, shouldn't prosper. I'm not saying that at all. That's not, that's not my point. But I'm saying that those who preach for the sake of prosperity, I feel sorry for them. Because they have their kingdom now. They have their reward now, and I'm sorry for them in the long run because it's going to be fearsome if they're doing it for money. But, but I'll say this, they're, 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 not, they're not like that. Actually, there are very few that are like that. That's the truth of it. You know, there, there are guys out, out in this, even today, all over this nation, all around the world, that are just knocking it out of the park week after week after week after week and building the kingdom. There are, there are ministers that are preaching the gospel faithfully. They're 
making hospital calls when the hospital let them in. It's frustrating right now because they won't let me into the hospitals. But uh, they're praying for the sick. They're, 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 they're doing all these things, a great personal sacrifice. And I want to say to you this morning, I, I don't know whom God has called. I don't know to whom God is speaking. But if you say no to God because you can't make the money in missionary service or, or, or as being a pastor of a small church that you can make being the vice president of a, cor- of a corporation, if you say no to God on that agenda, then I say to you that you've missed one of the greatest, most rewarding, adventurous journeys known to mankind. I would not take $10 million cash right now for one moment of the joy that I've known in serving Jesus. I wouldn't take all the gold in Fort Knox, if there's any there. I don't know if they have any any more gold in there or not, but I wouldn't take it all for one single moment of the years that I've knocked around in ministry. All the places that I've been, the, the trips to Manila, then Haiti, Haiti stole my heart. I'm telling you, just a, but, but, but with Abraham, I say, I don't want one dime of, uh, that the king of Sodom has got from me. But there's a, there's a third implication for us about the work of evangelism. And this, for us, may be the most difficult, difficult one for us to deal with. And that is that rescuing our brethren will cost us embarrassment. You know, I want you to know that I believe that this is the most difficult cost for most of us to pay. There are those that are willing to pay the price of inconvenience. There are those that are willing to pay the price financially, but they're not willing to pay the price in ego and pride and reputation. There are people that would be one to Jesus if Christians would not be ashamed of Jesus. There are people that would be one to the cross if Christians would not be scandalized by the vehicle of their own salvation. How, how marvelous it is when with the boldness of the lion of the tribe of Judah, somebody opens up his mouth or her mouth for Jesus. You know, when I was in youth ministry, uh, there was a movement that was started across the nation known as See at the Pole. They, they, still, they still do it, but that just tells you how old I am because they started that when I was a youth. Jason's like, I thought it went on forever. I didn't know it ever had a beginning, uh, but I was there. I was part of I remember when it first started and and if you're not familiar with it, on a, on a designated day in September, Christian students at schools all, of, all over the United States, they gather around the flagpole of their school and they pray for their school and their classmates. And, you know, it, as I said, it's still going on. They still do it every year. Well, I, I knew of one little 14-year-old girl that participated in that event, that event one year. And after it was over, somebody asked her about it and she said, oh, it was just awful. She said, it was just me and three others, four people in the whole school. She said, we just stood out there by the flagpole and we held hands and prayed. She said, it was awful. She said it was awful, but I say, thank God. I say, thank God for this this little frail 14-year-old Christian girl who will put her faith on display without shame by her public confession of Christ. You know, you'll never convince me in a million years that there weren't more than four kids in that high school that don't go to some youth group somewhere or their parents attend some member, some church in that community, but, but, but ask for one public expression of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and they're nowhere to be found. It was just her and three other little girls. You know, and I just say, you know, to all those 
big, broad-shouldered, strong, powerful, good-looking guys. Uh, and, and listen, if you're watching this, if you're listening to this, then I want you to, to hear me. If God can't find a big, strong guy that will obey him and pay the price and make the sacrifice and abhor the wages of, of Sodom, then God will find a, a little, little old 14-year-old girl to show you up for the coward that you are. Uh, well, I'm getting kind of mean here. <laughs> You know, I, I know guys that'll strap a helmet on their heads and charge into a football line that corporately weighs more than this building, you know, and, uh, and they'll do so without fear, without trembling, at the expense of their bodies, at the possibility of extreme serious personal injury. Uh, I, not, let, me, let me get real personal here. I know guys that will brave the cold and bad weather and sit for hours in a deer stand. I mean, they would fight... <laughs> Lee, I'm not talking about you. You're a, you're a great and godly man, but, but, uh, but I don't understand it, brother. I have had people tell me, guys come to me. When I was in Idaho, they'd go up in the mountains elk hunting, and they would come back and tell stories about uh, how it snowed on them, and it was freezing, and they couldn't get warm, and they just told all these horror story after horror story, and then they look at me and said, you should go with us next time. And I was like, what about that story made me want to go right there? I have no idea, but... But, you know, I know guys that will brave, brave any kind of weather. They, I mean, for a chance to go hunting, they would fight a grizzly bear with a switch. Am I right, Lee? But then there are some of those same men that when it comes time to stand up for Jesus, they run away like cowardly little girls. You know, there's a price to be paid for winning the lost. And that price is your ego and pride and reputation. In short, can I tell you this? Self and evangelism are simply contrary to each other. If I indulge my pride, my flesh, my ego, my lust for money and possessions, then, then to one extent or another, I will deny myself to God. Because I can only serve one master. The extent to which I indulge myself, I will be useless in the, king, in the God-called work of evangelism. And I'm convinced that there are works to be done for God that will not be done because self-indulgent, lazy Christians won't get up and do them. I, I know this is, I don't mean this to sound as hard as it is today, but I think sometimes we just need to be challenged. I believe that there are great works of God that are to be done, but there are businessmen on whose door God has been knocking year after year after year after year, but they won't obey the call to the mission field or even to become a testimony for God in the local business community because they're ashamed or they're embarrassed or they're terrified of personal loss, they're terrified of losing their job. And those works will go undone and souls will remain unsaved because no one will pay the price. I believe there were revivals to be started in high schools that will not be started because of the Christians in those high schools, not because of the sinners, not because of what God, the devil's trying to do. God always starts a revival with a Christian. He doesn't start a revival with a heathen. I like that word. It's like saying it just makes me sound preacherly, preacherly, you know. But it has to be a Christian that is crucified to self, that's crucified to convenience that's crucified to material gain that's crucified to ego and pride and reputation listen evangelism is expensive and i don't like sermons that make it sound like it's not 
There, there are those that preach the pallid oatmeal brand of Christianity that says things like, oh, just become a Christian and nothing really has to change in your life. Just become a Christian and, and you can just stay the same. Just become a Christian and it'll just make you more popular and more winsome and more attractive. Just become a Christian and, and, and all God wants to do is bless your life. You never have to worry about anything else. Just become a Christian and you can have your best life ever. They just go on with this. It sounds good on radio and TV. The only problem with that is it just doesn't have anything to do with the Bible. It doesn't line up with what Jesus taught because the reality is there are great sacrifices to be made. We are called to lay our lives down as sacrifices. Romans chapter 12. Paul, that's what Paul said. He said, he said in view of, of the, what Christ has done for us, he said we should we should lay our lives down as living sacrifices. You know what the problem with a living sacrifice is, Pastor Jason? The problem with a living sacrifice is that it keeps crawling off the altar. That's why it's not a one-time deal. It's every day laying our life down. It's every day saying, this, this life today is not about me. This life today is not about what I can earn. This life today is not about my comfort. This life today is not about my convenience. This life today is about Jesus. This life today is about His gospel. This life today is about His mission. This life today is about what He has called me to do for Him. And I lay myself down. I sacrifice my reputation. I sacrifice my pride. Listen, I'm telling you, you will. there are times I can tell you because I have been there. When you speak up for Christ and you try to tell somebody about Jesus, there are going to be times you, you'll walk away and you'll think to yourself, all I did was embarrass myself. There's nothing else accomplished. But you have no idea what kind of seed may have been planted in that life. You have no idea. But what's the payoff? What's the payoff? When uh, Dr. Mark Rutland was pastoring church in Orlando, Florida, he received a letter from a new Assembly of God missionary in Ghana. He did not know this, this missionary, so he was a little surprised when he got the letter from him. But in the letter, this missionary wrote this. He, he wrote that as he flew into the country of Ghana for the first time as a new missionary as he left the airport in Accra and rode along in a taxi to the city of, of Takarati. I have no idea if that's how you say it right, right or not. So if you're, if, you're Ghana, if you're from Ghana, you can let me know and correct me later. If not, then you don't really know any better than I do. But, uh, but anyway, this taxi driver, as they were driving along, turned to him and began to witness to him, uh, not knowing that he was a missionary. And the taxi driver said to him, he said, look, while you're here in this country, why don't you attend my church? He said, I found the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. I've been filled with the Holy Spirit, and I believe that God can meet your needs while you're here in this country. And the missionary said, you know, I really appreciate your witnessing to me, but I, I am a born-again Christian. I'm here as an Assembly of God missionary. And, and then, he, then he, he turned around the conversation. He asked the taxi driver, he said, how did you come to be a Christian? And that taxi driver said, I was lost, undone, drunken, violent. On a Friday night, I beat my wife so badly that I was afraid she was going to die. 
He said, the very next morning, a friend of mine came and he took me drunk with a hangover to a full gospel businessman's, businessman's breakfast at the Black Caesars restaurant in downtown Accra. He said, there I heard a man named Mark Rutland give his testimony. He said, that morning I was born again. I was delivered from alcohol and violence and adultery. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. He said, God has given me back my marriage and my family. He has prospered me with this great taxi. He said, I have won 27 people to Jesus in this taxi in the last 10 years. And I'm believing God for 50 before I die. What is that worth? What would it be worth to receive a letter like that? What would it be worth to hear that a seed that you planted in obedience had grown and the harvest was multiplying? What are the 27 people worth that prayed to surrender Jesus in that man's taxi? What is a young man, Carrie Hepworth, that, that I led to Jesus in the city jail in Twin Falls, Idaho? What is he worth? It's, you know what? It's inconvenient to do prison ministry. It's inconvenient to go through everything you have to go through just to be able to get in to see the prisoner. It's inconvenient to go down to the detention center and give your testimony and pray with prisoners. But I know God opened the door and I was able to lead Carrie Hepworth to Jesus when I was there in as a youth pastor in Twin Falls, and he opened the door and I got to go into the youth detention center and, and regularly preach the gospel. And I saw s- several of those young men get saved and, and turn their life and they started coming to church when they got out. It's not convenient. There's nothing convenient about prison ministry. You, you, you absolutely have to go out of your way. The only question is, what is Carrie Hepworth worth? What is that man worth? What is that woman worth? What what would I take for that one meeting? What would I take for that one encounter? What would I take for that one soul? The answer is not all the money in the world. What about the people who have come into this place as a result of your love, as a result of your testimony, and have given their lives to Jesus? What are they worth? Would you take a million dollars in exchange for them going to hell? No, the answer is not for sale. Not for sale. Nothing about evangelism is convenient. Sometimes, can I tell you, sometimes it's not even any fun. And it's not even always successful. Listen, after Abram Abram expends his own time, his own money, at great inconvenience, exposing himself to danger. He could have been killed. After that whole thing, he brought Lot back home and got him safely out of Sodom. And after all of that, you know what Lot did? Lot went back to Sodom. And Lot went back and his whole family was destroyed. Even, and I say not necessarily destroyed physically, but the whole family was destroyed. Even after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot's life became a pathetic, horrible tragedy, an immoral travesty. You know, I mean, has anybody here ever witnessed to somebody about Jesus and you invite them to the church and they receive the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and then you saw them backslide and go back into the world? Anybody ever, ever had that experience? That's not fun, is it? It's painful, it's disappointing, it's, it's disillusioning. 
there's something in us that sometimes when we see that, there's something that, that begins to rise up and we want to say, all right, well, the next time I'll just let Lot, let, let Lot die. The only problem is that's, that's, not, that's just not like God. Has anybody here ever disappointed God? Let me, let me see your hand. I just want to make sure I'm not alone. Yeah. Anybody here, after you got saved, done something that God didn't like? <laughs> Some of you are like, this morning. <laughs> I, trying to get my kids ready. and I might have come close to killing one of them. I'm not sure. But aren't you glad when that happened that God didn't say, well, that's it. Mark the name off. The angels say, don't you think we ought to send somebody to try to rescue him? No, no, I'm just tired of him. I'm tired of him just marking the name off, aren't you? I'm so glad God is not like that, aren't you? No, the, mat- the fact of the matter is that we can't even measure evangelism by the success that we bear. We can't measure it by the altar call. We can't measure it by the response that we get when we tell somebody about Jesus. As I said earlier, you have no idea the seed that was planted. You have no idea the harvest that will come, maybe even years down the road. The inconvenience, the cost, the price, the disappointments, the hurts, the wounds, the the money that might be made that doesn't get made, the money that that might be saved that is given, the embarrassment of handing out that gospel tract to to a waiter in a restaurant. The, The fact of the matter, when it all comes down to, is this. We have to remember, evangelism is not an option for us as followers of Jesus. Evangelism is a command of Jesus. Paul said in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he said this, and we're almost done. He said, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. I love that verse. I will most gladly, not begrudgingly, not clutching to my money and counting it and saying, okay, well, if this is what it's going to take, I'll, I'll give it. He said, I will gladly spend it. Whatever it takes, if it takes a million dollars to win a soul, okay, then I'll, I'll write a check. And of course, if I write a check, I'm going to jail but, but for a million dollars. But, 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 but what's a soul worth? I will most gladly spend and be spent. And, and Paul says, I will give it gladly, everything I've got, everything I am. I will be used up. I will be broken. Listen, I don't know about you, but I don't want to arrive in heaven with anything left in my pockets. I want to die empty. When I stand before Jesus, I want to be able to look him in the eyes and say, I have nothing left to give because I've already given it all to you. I don't want anything left in the tank. I want to be able to give it all to him. I want to die empty. I don't want to say, stand before him and say, I don't, I have something left to offer you. Don't hold anything back. I, uh, I want to be spent for God. I want to spend and I want to be spent. I would rather be used up for Jesus than to be saved up for my comfort in a broken and sinful world. The price of evangelism, we've always wanted it cheap. and Actually, the reality is we've always wanted it free. Mary Beth, if you could come on up. You know, the prayer of many, many saints is this. They, they, they pray the prayer, they modify the prayer of Isaiah. They say, hear my Lord, send him. But the power, but the prayer of the one who makes an eternal difference in the world and an eternal difference in the age to come is the one that says, Lord, 
I don't know if I'll do, but here I am. Lord, I don't know if I can be a missionary, but, but here I am if that's what you want. Lord, I don't know if I'll be a very good soul winner. I'm not very clever at that sort of thing, but here I am. If you can use me, here I am. Lord, I don't know if I can be a Sunday school teacher. I, I don't feel like I'm gifted in that area, but here I am. Lord, I don't know if I can lead a small group, but, but here I am. Lord, I, I don't know if I would be useful in prison ministry. I feel completely overwhelmed with that idea, but here I am. Lord, I, I'm willing to pay some price, some, whatever the price may be, because the souls of men and women and children are worth it. That's the prayer that makes a difference. God has commanded it, and in my weakness and my inability... I can rely on his power, but the fact is, no matter whether I, whether I take that challenge seriously or not, the reality is I'm still an ambassador for Christ. I'm an ambassador for Christ in this world. There's no escape from that call. See, evangelism is not just the calling of the evangelist who travels from church to church. It's not even just the call of those who have the gift of evangelism. It's not the call that's only for pastors and other church leaders. Evangelism is the call for every follower of Jesus. And, and you know, and we get really weird because we, we hear that word evangelism and we get all kinds of ideas of what does that mean, what does that mean? But evangelism, just, it just means good news. It means gospel. So evangelism, that evangelism is not you trying to learn the you know, four spiritual laws. Well, if they say this, then this is how you answer them. Not, that's good. There's nothing wrong with being prepared that way. But evangelism is just making the good news known. That's all it is. It's telling people the good news about Jesus. And you know the, the most effective way to do that? It's what we started with. You tell your story. Just tell your story. When somebody's hurting, you say, man, I've been there. I've walked down that road. I lost somebody that I love. I want you to know how Jesus has carried me through and he can do the same for you. Somebody's struggling with addiction. You're able to look at them and say, man, you know, I used to have a drinking problem. I used to have those kind of issues. I don't anymore, but it's not because I was strong. Let me tell you what Jesus did for me. He can do it for you. Somebody says, oh, my family is just falling apart. Oh, man, let me tell you, I've been through some stuff like that. I want to tell you what healed my family. It was Jesus. He can heal yours too. It doesn't matter what it is. Just tell your story somebody out there that needs to hear your story story of how Christ saved you how he rescued you how he changed you how he set you free because you know what that's exactly what they're longing for and your story gives them hope you know that that video said something along the lines I don't have the exact quote but if you remember it said something along the lines of the, the fate of the whole world does not rest on your shoulders. 
but the fate of one person does. We get overwhelmed and say, oh, you know, there's just so many. I can't reach everybody. No, you can't. But there's one. There's at least one. Then when you reach that one, you know what's going to happen? You're going to realize, man, that was incredible to be used by God. And you won't be satisfied with just one. And, and you know, you're, not, you're probably not called to stand up and preach a sermon. But you are called to tell your story. Just let him use you. Pay the price. Be willing to pay the price because I can tell you this, the payoff is far greater in the long run than any price we pay now. Would you bow your head? Let's pray together. Father, as we come into your presence, Lord God, I, 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 Lord, I earnestly pray that this would not be received today as in any sense of condemnation, but Lord God, that is a, it is a weighty subject. And I pray, Lord, that we would feel the weight of it. That there are souls that hang in the balance. There are people who need to hear that they're ready to respond to the gospel, but Lord, how can they believe? How can they be saved unless they, by the one in whom they've not believed? And how can they believe if they've not heard? So God, I just pray that you would raise us up that we would take it seriously and say, Lord, I'm willing to pay the price. And Lord, that you'd help us that no matter what the price, we would, we would begin to re- realize that those people around us, they are so valuable to you and that you would give us your heart for them, Lord God, and that we'd be willing to pay any price to make the gospel known to them. Lord, and I'm just, Lord, don't, don't let us be preachy, arrogant Christians. Let's just, let us, help us just to be honest and to tell our story and to tell people what you have done in us and how much you mean to us. And then God, I just know that by the power of your spirit, you, you can take that and do things that we can't even imagine. So Lord, I pray that you would deal with this. You would help us, Lord God, to respond to this message today in a very powerful, powerful way. With heads bowed and eyes closed. There's nobody looking around. I wonder if there's anybody here who would say, with me, Pastor Dave, I want God to use me to lead people to Jesus. And if that's you, I want you to raise your hand right where you are. My hand's up. That's what I want. And you're saying, Pastor Dave, before God, I'm just saying, I'm willing to pay the price. If it means, I, if it means I'm a little embarrassed, then so be it. If it means that it's an awkward moment, then so be it. But let my life count for Christ. Father, you see almost every hand, Lord God, has gone up, which tells me that your Spirit's doing a deep work in our lives. Lord, I pray for every person that raised their hand that God is, you you see our hearts, Lord God. We we don't want this just to be an emotional moment, but we want this to be a pivotal moment, a life-change moment where we, our lives change and we start thinking about your call and your kingdom instead of ourselves. And God, I pray that even today you would give us opportunities. Lord, whether maybe we go out to a restaurant and eat, and I pray that you would help us to, to, to just, in a, in a very simple way, to share the love of Christ with somebody. Lord, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a family member, whoever it is, God, I just pray that you'd help us to cross that line and take that step and pay the price. And God, I know that as we do that, you're going to use our obedience 
and those seeds that are planted, you're going to bring a great harvest. And we thank you for all that you've done and all you're going to do. Let us walk under your anointing, Lord Jesus, as we walk in obedience to this great command to go and tell all the world about the gospel. And we thank you for it all in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.